Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. It's a Monday, Gabby, so we got to review uh, the Pittsburgh game after re-watching it and uh, go to some big picture talk with recruiting talk about we're going to we're going to discuss the elephant in the room is 8 and 4 good enough for Manny Diaz to get another year um and then we're going to touch on the the latest news and notes to come out of the press conferences here on Monday so let's jump into it Gabby after rewatching some of the Pittsburgh game you can take this wherever you want to take this what stood out to you Man, I, I really just think like just the impact of, of just starting fast. I think you see that, um, you know, just being able to sort of come out of the gate, just ready to go. Like, I feel like there's just like the clear differences already in these games between like the Georgia, between the North Carolina, uh, Virginia game and the NC State and Pittsburgh game. It's literally like that first quarter literally separates Miami um you know in each yeah. of those really and uh it just feels like that's the recipe just sort of getting it going roll like getting it going sooner um you know i thought i mean i think i think a lot of guys played really well i mean i watching back i think tyreek stevenson had a really good game um i mean just what a lot of these guys were able to do i mean van dyke was just awesome man really i just thought it was uh maybe not a complete performance but again i think i said this before the nc state game i mean i feel like they if they play three good quarters instead of two good quarters they have a they put themselves in a pretty good chance to win i would argue that they played three good quarters against Pitt. uh probably saying the third quarter wasn't the best and i would say the same thing same thing about nc state and i think that's ultimately why we're seeing better results yeah and building on your point with starting fast to me there seems like a confidence factor going on right now beyond Tyler Van Dyke, right? Like we all see that, uh, maybe his confidence is, um, being absorbed by the rest of the team, but it looks like Miami right now looks like a team that is expecting to make plays. Yeah. Whereas earlier in the year, they kind of looked like a team, you know, a bunch of guys looking around and waiting for someone else to make the play. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, they just look like a much more confident team. I agree, you know, the starting fast thing on offense in the first quarter, great to see. I think on the flip side, you can highlight the defense, um, you know, doing enough to hold Pitt uh, from being able to make a comeback. You know, I think Pittsburgh started two drives in the fourth quarter, Um and they didn't get any points on those drives. They did score early in the fourth quarter on a drive that began in the third quarter. Um, but yeah, when you generally speaking, 
when you win the first and the fourth quarter, you have a good chance to win. You touched on Tyler Van Dyke, right? Um, after rewatching some of the game, was there a particular throw or, or a particular instance, you know, that, that impressed you that you would like to highlight? I mean, I think the touchdown to Keyshawn Smith was maybe like a tighter Agreed. window than maybe I thought, like just to me, it's the glance. throw of the game. Yeah, it's really, and just like sort of, there's like a safety sort of sitting in yes. that spot where he threw it and he sort of like, she sort of like looked him off a little bit and then went straight back to the spot that he was sort of occupying. I thought it was just a real vet sort of look and throw and sell just by him. Like, and then just how he just sort of put it again, like. I knew it was one of those plays that he just sort of like put it right in the breadbasket, but just to watch it like back and see like the coverage and stuff like that and just be able to see it back better. Um, dude, that was a big time throw. That was to a big me, time throw. The trajectory on that throw was important too, right? Yeah. Because if it's a flat trajectory, I think it, I think it's, it gets picked off. Cause like yeah. you're saying that safety is right there, but he led Keyshawn almost to the back yeah. of the end zone. Um, Keyshawn made an, a nice catch on the ball. Also just, the situation of that drive and of that touchdown Pittsburgh was starting to gain some momentum, tied the game 31, 31. Uh, so Tyler responded on that next drive with that touchdown pass. I think that was huge. A um, couple things that also impressed me um, the short passing game, you know, Pittsburgh, I think they'll throw a lot of different looks at you. Right. Um, and in this game, they, they, they allowed Miami to work the short passing game. And Van Dyke was 18 of 18 on passes behind the line of scrimmage that went for 140 yards. Um, wow. So he was perfect, basically. And then he was also good, I think, on the intermediate passes, going seven of nine attempts for 98 yards and one touchdown. And oh. And to me, that speaks to, and Manny highlighted this in the press conference today, Manny Diaz. Um, Tyler did a really nice job of, of working the RPO game. Yeah. Um, so it was a combination to me of RPO, ball placement, anticipation. Uh, Miami's yards after catch in this game by the receivers was 291 yards. And the next highest that they've had in a game against an FBS opponent was 167 yards after catch against Michigan State. So uh, he he put the ball where receivers needed to to catch it to pick up more yards after catch. Um, and again, you know, I mean, to me, there it was also a big, you know, big instance in the game was early on, first play right for Tyler gets sacked by Kalijah Cansey. The very next play, he responds with a deep shot to Keyshawn Smith. And, and to me, that was kind of a preview of what the rest of the game was going to be for Tyler. He was just up for the fight, up for the response. And, uh, you know, I will fully admit I did not like I always thought Tyler was good. I didn't think he was special. Yeah. And it's only two games, so it's probably still too early to crown him. But man, he he does some special things in these last yeah, two games. Does. It's it's hard to not get extremely excited about the way he is rapidly progressing. Like yeah. the way he has improved from the Virginia and North Carolina games to what we've seen these last two weeks. I don't know if I've ever seen that before 
you know, at the quarterback position covering this team. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think of course it's fair to say, let's see how these final four games of the regular season go for Tyler. Um, but I know for me at this point, I'd be surprised if there's like, like if these two games, these pit, this pit and NC state games are flukes, I think he's going to keep it rolling. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to see as good of defense as they saw against Pitt and NC state the rest of the way, which is also helpful to Tyler continuing uh, his production. So credit to Tyler. I will, I, you know, I guess I would say he's, he's proven me wrong in, in terms of like, I didn't think he was special. I thought he was good. I thought he was going to be a serviceable, good college quarterback, like a Brad Kaya type. Um, I think he's big time. I think he's, I think he can potentially be much, much better than that. Yeah. And, and then that's to think that there was some missed opportunities too. Like again, like you had the, the Rambo with the RPO, you said he was seven and nine. Like that could have been eight for nine with another touchdown on the RPO. Cause Rambo was by himself, had him there, had Rambo again on the, on the deep ball Absolutely. that he sort of tripped over himself. Like as special as that performance was, which we acknowledge that it is like, it could have been even better. Like you hit yes. on those two plays and you're potentially talking two more touchdowns with, you know, 80, 90 more yards. So, you know, I think this is, I mean, he's, he is, well, he seems to be, um, you know, a really, really good ACC quarterback. I feel like that's sort of the question, like, can he be like, can he look like an ACC caliber quarterback? We didn't really know. Um, It feels like he could potentially, he, well, right now he's climbing up that ladder to be, you know, one of the top guys. And that's with Sam Hartman and Sam Howell and Brennan Armstrong and, you know, Devin Leary and all these guys. Yeah. All these Kenny Pickett, of course, all these dudes, like, I don't think that you look at, at Tyler Van Dyke right now, considering he's playing right now, and say, like, yeah, like he's the worst out of that bunch. Well, like, I think he has an argument to, like, at least with the way, the way he's performing right now. And moving forward, he, Miami, I think it, you know, it looks, it's early again, small sample size, but I think the expectation should be moving forward the rest of this regular season. Miami's going to have the quarterback advantage. Um, right. And he, yeah, in these last four games, it seems that way for sure. Right. So, and you look at the advanced analytics from, from pro football focus and uh, you know, at the power five level, the last two weeks. So again, small sample size, but Tyler's playing at like a top five quarterback in the country right now uh, for the people that grade throws. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the, the counting stats, they're up there. Top five court. I mean, the last two weeks, he's completing 76% of his passes against you know, two quality defenses are that, yeah. you know, they're not Georgia, of course, but Pittsburgh and NC state are, are quality defenses and better defenses again than what he's going to see these final four games of the season. So uh, good on Tyler Van Dyke for, I would say sticking with the process and figuring some things out after that Virginia and North Carolina starts also credit to Rhett Lashley for really finding what works for Tyler. Um, as a quarterback. So, and again, he's unlocked some things that we haven't seen uh, in a while here in terms of, you know, I think, I think back to the Stephen Morris days when that deep shot, yeah, that deep passing game really terrified defenses every week, yeah. that style of plays kind of, we're kind of seeing that come back now with Tyler Van Dyke, which is fun, entertaining football to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Anything else on offense? I think, you know, I said after the game, the offensive line 
continues to look serviceable. I think that's yeah. the case. I will say, like, I think Devon Donaldson had a rough game. So if I'm going to highlight one of those linemen that needs to pick it up this week, it'd be Donaldson. But on the flip side, I do think it's fair to point out he was dealing like Pittsburgh does have some athletic interior defensive linemen that are tough to handle, yeah. uh, but he does need to play better. Um, anything else on offense or flip over to defense? Really quick on offense. I mean, three straight games with an explosive touchdown by Jalen Knighton. I think that's a yeah, big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, that is that's good. Good point by you. Yeah, 40, 40 yard touchdown run. Um Miami has been missing that explosive element out of the backfield this year. And it's good to see Knighton kind of take that on. And another guy that's changed the dynamic of the offense. Things are really starting to come together. You're seeing too how you know, Charleston Rambo, for the most part, was covered the majority of the, of the game by Damari Mathis, who coming into that game had been one of the best cornerbacks in the ACC. Um, Charleston Rambo, even with his drops, still found a way to produce, still made plays. So Miami's got a little, you know, triplet going on right now at the quarterback, wide receiver, running back spots. Yeah. Um, and again, it's fun to watch. And I, I do think there's still even more room for growth over these final four games. Defensively, um, you know, I, I do think the tackling, again, it's, what are we talking here? But it, you know, it's maybe looking average. I think it's fair to say it's yeah. getting to average, which is an improvement. Um, Pro Football Focus had them with 11 missed tackles, which is the lowest of the season. I will say this at least about the tackling, you know, earlier in the year, um, it seemed like when Miami missed a bunch of tackles, there wasn't that swarm to come clean up the missed tackle, get the guy on the ground immediately. That's kind of happening more now. The gang yeah. tackling is better. So if they do miss a tackle, there's some immediate Help. two or three other guys helping. Right. So that is improving. Uh, which I guess goes back to leverage and just run defense in general um, outside of tackling. So we're talking small improvements there, uh, but I do think it's worth highlighting that the tackling is at least going from awful to average, um, which is good. I think DeAndre Johnson, after rewatching the game, played his best game of the year. Yeah. Um, did a nice job of, of getting some pressure on Kenny Pickett, who was, you know, after rewatching the game, Kenny Pickett, I thought was phenomenal. Yeah, he was um, really good. His pocket really, really presence good. is special. You know, I wasn't sure about this first round pick hype, but to me, there's absolutely no doubt he's a first round pick. Yeah. Well, Manny, think, yeah, Manny, really quick, Manny said today during the press conference, I know we'll get there, but like he said yeah. that, like he saw Mitchell Trubisky, he saw Daniel Jones at Duke, and he said that Pickett's better than both those guys. So for whatever that's worth. I would agree. I would agree with that. You know, he has that pocket presence, which is so important at the NFL. It's at, at every level, but in the NFL, it separates, yeah. you know, average to great. And his ball placement, too, I thought on when when he had time was excellent. Um, yeah. So, look, I mean, Miami allowed 500 passing yards, which, of course, is an unacceptable number. But Kenny Pickett is special. And uh, so you do got to kind of tip your cap at times. 
But on the flip side, you know, I think it is fair to point out there's a rough game for Takori Couch and Marcus Clark. Um, Both those guys, when they were, they were both, so combined, they were targeted 10 times. They allowed 10 receptions on the hand, uh, 184 yards with two touchdowns. So not a great game. I think it's hard. Like rarely do you see that amount of targets equal that amount of completions. Um, So it speaks to how accurate Kenny Pickett is, but it also speaks to Couch and Clark need to pick it up. So hopefully they do because Tyreek Stevenson's starting to come on as that lead corner, which is a big development for this defense. How about you? I'm rambling on anything on defense you want to highlight. I mean, since I guess since we're already picking on to Corey Couch, like that first touchdown that they scored, that him and Wayne Minstead both had an angle on um, the running back and just sort of just like Olaid and just kind of like let him yeah, sort of tackling. run right in. The tackling yeah. was really, really bad there. Um, yeah, I mean, defensively, uh, again, I thought they did a better job of tackling. Again, just I, I, it, I don't think it was like perfect, but. Mm, I think that there was definitely some mistake. I thought Gilbert yeah, there was. struggled a little yeah. bit, but I mean, you got to give credit. I mean, Kenny Pickett on that rollout where he rolled out, I guess left and then threw that touchdown pass, like right in between like Marcus Clark and like, like yeah. that, that that's like, a, like looking at looking back, like when I watched it in person, I was like, Marcus Clark, like, how don't you make that play? Like you're literally standing right next to the ball sort of, you just kind of let, and then you kind of watch that back. And I was just like, all right. Yeah. Like that was, that was a big time. Kenny throw. Pickett. Yeah. Yeah. Kenny Pickett. I think they did a good job generating some pressure, uh, four sacks, I think nine tackles for loss. Um, you know, I think they get, they did a good job just getting in his face. I'm sure the pressure numbers are much higher than like the sack numbers. I thought they did an okay job with that. So I'm pretty encouraged about that moving forward. Cause again, I don't think we're going to see an offensive line as good as Pitts or NC state. So, um, I thought that that was okay. And then, you know, Cam Kitchens one time got, I think on the last Pittsburgh drive where they, I think they ended up picking a field goal. Um, Cam Kitchens got lost on a crosser. Uh, I think Jared yeah. Wayne came on a crosser and Cam Kitchens. I think that's like the, I think that's the first time that I've looked at Cam Kitchens and been like, yeah, like you like that, that's sort of on you. Freshman that he's mistake. Sort of, yeah. That was like a freshman mistake. And that could have been um, bad, but I mean, it ended up all working out, I guess. So, I mean, those are all, those are just a few of my like big defensive takeaways. I'll give them credit on this. I think there was a, you know, as that game progressed, there was, I I was a little concerned, like, is this, I was watching for on both sides, honestly, Pittsburgh and Miami, which team is going to wear down. I feel like Miami's defense didn't necessarily, at least the defensive line didn't wear down. I feel like some of the linebacker play looked tired at times. I think Corey flag had to take on a a big workload with Bradley Jennings Jr. Getting hurt. Um, so he looked tired at times in coverage at the end of the game, but the defensive line to me, which is, you know, the group you always watch in terms of wearing down during the course of a game, you know, they rolled a lot of depth and I feel like, you know, while Kenny Pickett escaped a lot of sacks, they were still getting pressure. Um, and so that was good to see. And, you know, moving forward, even though Miami is going to face some athletic quarterbacks here, moving forward. To me, you know, even more athletic than Kenny Pickett in terms of just running ability. Um, I don't know if they will see another quarterback with that type of pocket presence. So I think they're gonna be be, they're gonna be more more one dimensional type guys. Like right. That's that's how I feel. Right. So 
it was good enough. Again, that's what we said after the game, but still feel that way. Good enough, obviously. Um, defensively, nothing salty. The two interceptions were good. Good. To, I mean, I think another thing to highlight, right? Coming into that game, can he pick it only through one pick on the year? Uh, against yeah. Miami, he threw two. So I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Anything else, anything else to touch on? No, I think that's good there. All right. So let's talk about recruiting, right? Because uh, it's been in the dumpster here uh, recently. Miami's still ranked number 60 overall in the country. Uh, number 12, again, amongst ACC teams. Only eight commitments. So the, the question now, Gabby, is have these two wins against NC State and Pittsburgh, do you feel like they've changed anything in your opinion, you know, speaking with recruits or, or getting the vibes uh, from inside the building, have they changed anything? And along with that, do you feel like an eight and four finish, let's say regular Miami wins out the rest of the year, does that change anything with recruiting from where it currently stands right now? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say how much I feel like it changes anything right now. Um, you know, I think, I mean, I think it, it only helps, you know, it definitely doesn't hurt them in any way. Um, I think that just, I mean, just the, really the reactions from a lot of the recruits were, I mean, they were all positive, you know, it was good to see Miami win. Some of them on their own acknowledged that it was, you know, two straight wins versus top 20 teams. So there is guys that are paying attention and, right. you know, really seeing this type of stuff, which I think is all, which is what I think is also great. Um, you know, I think, I mean, some of the other targets, I mean, let's say like a Shamar Stewart type, I'm not sure how much it impacts a guy like that. Um, you know, I just think, I mean, for the most part, uh, you know, I think Miami still needs to show more for some of those top guys. I think if you're like a Wesley Bassaint, I think you have to be feeling better about that, knowing that like you've sort of had some of these big time wins that you're sort of showing him, um, you know, especially with linebacker being that important. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Would you say like, in terms of the top, top target, high, highly ranked guys is Wesley probably the one you feel like is still realistically most in play yeah i would say i would say wesley probably um not feeling super good about shamar i'm some of you guys locked into the side of seeing probably a little run of crystal balls favoring texas a&m um i think it would be hard for miami at this point to sort of overcome that um not saying it's impossible but i i i think you have to be feeling like texas a&m sort of the the team to beat right now uh, I mean, and then you got like the Anthony Lucas type, which, you know, they, they, they feel good because in a way it's home, um, you know, uh, he's still sort of paying attention to them. But again, I think you got Notre Dame, you got Texas A&M, you got Oregon, some of these other schools that, that are heavily involved too. I don't think Miami feels like they're super out of that either. So I think you just kind of have to wait it out. And again, like a Nigel league type, I think you just got to sort of keep winning and see what happens. And I mean, that's what I would say probably about some of those like top, like high, high ranked guys. So maybe eight and four gets you back in the game a little better with Nigel Lee Kelly, right? I, I, I think so, because uh, eight and four means that he witnessed Miami win against Florida State in Tallahassee. Um, I think that that's becoming in, uh, an increasingly more important game, especially as Miami just continues to sort of win if they continue to win here down the stretch, because um, that's potentially the last time a lot of these guys are going to see Miami play in person. Um, you know, they have right. this Saturday against Georgia Tech. 
Uh, we don't really know who's coming out yet. I mean, I theoretically Nigel League and Wesley can come, but again, they're, we know that they're definitely going to be in Tallahassee uh, that weekend of November 16th for that Miami Florida state game. So it's going to be an atmosphere that's probably going to be extremely electric with for Miami to go on the road and potentially win that game. Um, it's going to be huge because again, these are all guys. There's a bunch of guys that are going to be there that are considering Miami. I think I would throw uh, Wesley, Nigel, Demario Tolan. I, I would expect to be there as okay. well. So, you know, three top guys that they're really trying to close with down the stretch. And uh, I think that's just an opportunity that, yeah, they're on a Florida state visit, but Miami's extremely like just very much in the mix for all those guys. So just another chance for Miami to sort of impress against a team that they're directly competing against. Uh, on the recruiting trail and they're going to continue to recruit against on the, on the trail and all that stuff. So um, eight and four, I think would be a big deal. I think that also, let's say potentially again, not trying to get too far ahead of myself, but maybe that gets you into to, maybe that like helps you win the coastal, depending on how some of these other teams go. Uh, like if Pitt loses again, if Virginia loses again, uh, Miami's in a good spot there. So, I mean, I think if Miami finds a way to get to Charlotte, which again is still sort of an out there idea, but I guess the only way to do it is by winning out. And, uh, you know, I think that would obviously help too, especially being on a six game winning streak like that to close the year. I think it shows some sort of, you know, tangible progress. Um, I think you feel comfortable that Mandy is probably coming back at that point. Um, and at least, you know, there's not going to be any like immediate change if you were to come in and decide that you're going to go there that you wouldn't have to worry about, hey, maybe this coach wouldn't be here next year or whatever the situation is. I think that that would be best case scenario, obviously. Let me ask you about Malik Agbo, the four-star offensive lineman out of the Seattle area. Is Miami still in the mix there? Like what, what do you understand about that one? Yeah, I think Miami's still in the mix there. I, I was actually texting with him back and forth uh, last week and just sort of seeing how he was doing and things like that. And, you know, he said that his relationship with the coaches at Miami just continued to grow. Um, I think the hope before the season was always that he was going to get down here at some point for an official, an unofficial visit because you have already officially visited over the summer. Uh, the NC state was sort the NC state game was sort of circled for that, but he never made it down. Um, he already went to Texas during the season. He's going to hit Auburn and Florida, but um, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that he's not going to get back down here. Um, I'm not sure how to sort of what to sort of make of that. Uh, but I think, I mean, everything that he says just indicates that, you know, he's feeling good about Miami right now. Uh, I think he still sees the opportunity to play, but I mean, I think you have to be worried about, I mean, I feel like I'm mostly worried about Texas, um, Auburn, I guess we'll see. I mean, that's a, that's a big time SEC program that just got a big win. Uh, Florida is, you know, Florida, but I feel, I'm not sure how it, in, directly involved that they are, um, or just how much he's seriously considering them. I, I would probably put Miami ahead of at least Florida, but it really feels like it could potentially come down to Miami, Texas, Auburn, uh, maybe okay. Oklahoma, if he's still feeling it. Let me ask you this too. If, if I had to ask you to predict who could, in your opinion, who would be the next guy Miami might take a commitment from, and that can be a portal guy that can be a Juco guy or a high school guy. Yeah. Um, I would, I would have probably said Landon Morris, but it seems like he's going to take his official visits. He's setting one up for December for Miami. He's also going to officially visit Utah. I think he kind of wants to go through that process before he makes a decision. I mean, it's November. Uh, this is the month that Wesley Bissane's going to make a decision. Um, again, you're going to have a chance to impress him against uh, Florida State. We'll see if he gets to Hard Rock Stadium on Saturday. Um, you know, I think he's really the next domino to fall. Again, these guys are all making really late commitments. 
um, late decisions. No, I don't expect anything to just sort of happen uh, between now and like Thanksgiving weekend. I think if it's going to be somebody, it's going to be Wesley Besaint. Okay. And Landon Morris is the Syracuse, the Syracuse transfer. transfer tight end. Yeah. And then you, I mean, you got Jeffrey. Emba Jeffrey. Too. He's going to, he's going to go officially visit uh, Michigan the weekend of Ohio state, which I think is always like the last week of the regular season um, right. or one of those. So I think I, I, I can't imagine him making a decision prior to that official visit. And Wesley, do you still feel like it's a Miami Florida state battle or do you feel like it's Miami Florida state Penn state as Florida really pushed to get in there yet or are they still on the outside looking at you think yeah i feel like florida's making a push man um okay. just from based on conversations that i've had with some of the people uh over there just familiar with what florida's doing um it seems like he's sort of their one of their guys at linebacker um i think one thing that's sort of maybe just something maybe to watch there is I mean, there's people, I mean, are people sure that Todd Grantham's coming back next year? Like people, right. I feel like there's, there's, there is that sort of like question they mark around issues. that. Yeah. Yeah. They have their, they have their own things going on right now. Um, you know, I feel like that's, again, maybe not something that's absolutely certainly happening, but I think it's, I think it's something that can happen. And from what I understand, Christian Robinson is tied to Grantham. He's like a Grantham guy. So if Grantham's gone, I'm wondering if linebackers coach Christian Robinson's gone too. Um, Again, this is just speculating as this is something that people have spoke about with Florida struggling now four and four, two and seven in their last nine against power five opponents. Uh, people are upset up there. Dan Mullen postponed or just canceled his media availability. Um, you know, just little things like that, that, you know, who knows? So I think that there is right. some uncertainty sort of over Florida the same way there was uncertainty about Miami two weeks ago. Um, those types of things, sort of just like the ebbs and flows of a, of a college and, football season. Yeah. And with, with Penn state, you know, of course, James Franklin, you know, seems like he's going to have options in terms yeah. of his next job as well. So and, but Penn state has like 26 guys, like 26, like high school kids committed. So like, I'm not even right. sure how much like room Penn state has to even work with right now. So that's why I'm not super okay. sold on Penn state being a, a finalist here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who closes for Wesley right now, uh, this month of November. Who ends up getting the talented four-star linebacker? In? Let's let's close on this, Gabby, and then we'll take a break. Uh, today, Manny Diaz was asked once again, like, what is his philosophy with recruiting in terms of, you know, because we now have to look at the transfer portal as recruiting, right? Right. Um, so what's his philosophy about you know, mixing portal additions with high school recruiting additions. Um, my take on what he said today, you know, it seems like he, he wants a lot of room um, for portal additions, for college-ready made players. Um, he kind of, he equated it almost to NFL free agency. Yeah. Was there anything he said that, that caught your attention? I think it was that just like how he's sort of taking like an NFL sort of mindset to it. Um, you know how, you know, they sort of evaluate the roster position by position uh, to sort of see what they need. Oh, do we need an older guy here? Do we need a younger guy here? Um, you know, he obviously, he gave the example of Alabama. It's like, look, programs can use the transfer portal to the benefit. You mentioned Harry Totoa, uh, Jamison Williams, who came in and, you know, really ignited that Alabama offense. Like, basically saying that there's options in the transfer portal that can make your team better, that there is opportunity to have that year to year sort of just like growth uh, through the transfer portal. 
So, I mean, I think this is, again, this is also with him probably understanding that you're going to miss on a lot of the guys that you maybe hoped that you were going to land sooner. I'm sure if you felt good about a lot of these high school prospects, you might not be feeling this way. But given the fact that this is sort of the situation, there is that sort of like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if he would call it a fallback option, but you do have the opportunity to add talent via the portal. And I think he sees that opportunity. And yeah, I think he's going to leave spaces open. Sort of always knew that that was going to be the case, but I think the number is just going to be larger than maybe we anticipated um, even, you know, really before the cycle started or early on in the cycle. And, you know, I hate that they are unable to land the top talent, the top high school talent. Um, I don't think having to constantly supplement with, you know, maybe 10 guys in the transfer portal is sustainable. But at the same time, I will say I like that strategy rather than just taking high school guys to take them, uh, you know, taking guys essentially that can't help you at a place like Miami. So I don't like it overall in terms of big picture wise, but in, you know, if we're talking about the spot Miami is in right now, I like that they're just not taking high school guys to take high school guys, if that makes sense. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, there's, you know, I feel like at the very least, what you can sort of say about them is that they, if they do not feel like a guy can help them, like they're just not going to take him. Like, look at the numbers right now. Sure. They could have probably a, at least maybe five or six more guys if they really wanted to just have a higher recruiting class where they just wanted to have more numbers in the class because they were freaking out about the, about having eight commits. And, um, you know, they've sort of held strong onto that mentality that look, if we don't feel like you are good enough to play at Miami, like we are not just going to give you a spot because we think maybe one day you will be, or because, um, you know, whatever, for whatever we need reason, a body. cause yeah. we need a body, right. They're not just going to start just taking dudes be, just to take a dude. And uh, I, I respect that. I respect that you have like, they do have like that sort of standard of what they expect the Miami hurricane to look like. And again, like, you know, at least worst case scenario, let's say things don't go as well. And maybe there, if let's say there is some sort of change at the top, you're not going to be stuck with a roster full of just guys that should not be wearing orange and green. You know, it seems like everyone that's on the roster is at least good enough to play at a school like Miami. And I right. think that that's because you look at it, the, I mean, even some of the schools that are ranked much higher, like you look at the bottom of those classes and it's like, like, do you like, it, would it matter? Right. To you? Like, would you rather have those guys and be ranked a little higher? Or would you rather just sort of have some talent that you believe in and maybe just sort of stick at where you're at? And I think right. that there's an argument for Miami's sort of direction of how they're approaching this. Right. My issue with their recruiting right now is they're not able to win these big time battles. Yeah, that's what, right? that's just the part that sucks. Yeah. That's, that's the part that's, that it is right. what it is and it's just not good enough. Right. So their ranking. Yeah. It's way too low, but I don't think they should go out and, and take, you know, 10 three-star guys just to then all of a sudden be ranked, you know, inside the top 30 to me, that's like putting lipstick on a pig. So, yeah. um, Again, I hate that Miami's in this position because the way you win is with recruiting and recruiting high caliber talent at the high school level. Um, but now that we're in this position, I kind of do agree with having to turn to the portal. Yeah. So let's take a break and then we will discuss the elephant in the room with this program right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we are back. Gabby, we'll just, uh, we'll just cut to the chase, right? I think, you know, so Miami stands at 4-4 four and four right now. Uh, they've, they've earned two straight victories against ranked teams, ranked opponents. First time since 2017 that's happened for Miami. Um, it looks extremely doable with the remaining schedule that Miami is going to win out and finish the regular season at eight and four. So the question here is eight and four good enough for Manny Diaz to get another year to you. And you can take this however you want to take it. I mean, I just think it would be hard to just let him go after this. Um, Again, we've talked about how Blake James almost was kind of taking the easy way out when he sort of, you know, did that little impromptu media uh, deal. He wasn't willing to just go out there and say, we're going to move on in 2022, no matter what. I think he was looking for that, that extra loss to sort of just make his job easier. I don't think if Miami finishes a year six and no with the young guys that they have playing right now, that they're going to pull the trigger on it. Um, and I mean, if they really find a way to turn it around like that, I mean, I mean, I, I feel like you kind of have to, right? Like, again, let's see what eight and four also gets you. Does that just, I mean, do you finish second in the Coastal eight and four? And do you just sort of have to, you play in an okay bowl game? What does that bowl game look like? Um, I think that matters. Um, it does, does eight and four get you to Charlotte? Like, I, I don't know what eight and four looks like right now with this, with the way the ACC landscape sort of is right now. So, um, I think that it would probably be enough to get him another year based on sort of like what this administration's shown and um, you know, just sort of the way they've gone, like sort of, they've sort of just conducted their business. I think that Manny Diaz would be back in 2022. Right. I agree. I think if we're predicting what this administration, what the decision makers will do, I think eight and four gets Manny another year. I think he comes back in 2022. Let me ask you it this way. Is that good enough for you? Eight and four in year three. Ah, uh, um, Cause to me, eight, this is the, this is the talking point, right? Yeah. Because, you know, to me, this boils down to what type of program does Miami want to be? Right. Yeah. Um, and, I think, and I think that's, what's tough. It's just like, can you just sit back and say, well, you kind of feel good about quarterback now. And well, you sort of feel good about this guy and this guy and this guy. And, uh, you know, maybe he right. should have done this before. Have we not with yeah, various we, exactly. coaches? Yeah. And, and exactly. And that's when it boils down to is what you've seen the last couple of years. Is that it, again, is this good enough for you as a program? Is it not? I don't know what, again, I feel like all like 
for me personally, I mean, again, I mean, I like to think that this program should be competing for ACC titles every year. Um, you know, I think at, that's, at some to point, me, that's, yeah. that's, that's the minimum and yeah. it's so doable. Like we're yeah, at this point, doable. the expectations for this program have dropped so much yeah. that even like winning the coastal is like not yeah. <laughs> expected by the decision makers, yeah. right? The yeah. fans expect it. So yeah. there is a disconnect there between the fans and the decision makers, which, you know, is frustrating. Um, but look, man, to me, like, here's the bottom line. Miami went eight and two last year, um, in the regular season, right? Yeah. Lost the bowl game, eight and three on the year, eight and two. If they go eight and four this year, that's a backslide. Like, I'm sorry. Um, and my question, my question then would be what Miami coach, you know, this century has been able to have that backslide happen and then turn it around and get yeah. it rolling at a successful level. None of them have been able to do that. Yeah. So why would Manny Diaz be any different? Um, I also think too, right? Uh, there's two ways to judge Manny Diaz right now as the head coach. To me, recruiting, if you're the head yeah. coach, recruiting's on you if you're the head coach, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so important at the college level. We pound the table for recruiting. It on this podcast, because I mean, I feel like recruiting is finally becoming mainstream where people are kind of understanding how important it is. Kirby smart talked about it this weekend after beating Florida, you know, saying, did you see this? His I did quote, His quote was, you can't out coach recruiting, essentially saying, you know, no matter how good of a schemer or game planner you are, yeah, you're not going to beat good players. Yeah. So I mean, it's so Kirby, true. It's yeah, so true, I mean, especially in college football. Yes. When he was saying that, I was just like, preach. But yeah, he is, uh, you know, so Manny Diaz with recruiting, right? You're 60th. It's not good enough. Yeah. You don't have any South Florida guys committed. And it's a very good year locally for defensive linemen. You don't have any of them committed. That's not good enough. Uh, and then two, you're a defensive coach. You are now taking on the defensive play calling. And again, the defense continues to regress each year that you are the head coach. And these are your players that you all recruited as the defensive coordinator the three years prior to becoming head coach. So to me, that's how you judge Manny Diaz right now as head coach and things are backsliding. Um, yeah. But you know, I do think there is a political element, unfortunately, yeah. with the decision makers where I don't necessarily have the trust that people will do what is best for the program. And I think people are going to just do the easy choice and or the self-preservation thing, right? And because I don't think Blake James, the athletic director, is going to make a move because then that opens himself up to be fired. I don't think anyone above Blake James is really going to fire Blake James and Manny because then who's going to run the coaching search. Um, and in general, right. President Frank and the board of trustees have a history of not making these hard decisions. Yeah. Um, 
which is frustrating. And that's why it's, that's why to me, it's almost just like, if you're not going to go get one, it's just like, if this like, what, who's the solution? And if it's not, you know, a Mario crystal ball, is it, is it worth it? Especially if they the go thing is, it, is I it think, worth making the move. I think they could go get Mario crystal ball. That's yeah. the frustrating thing. It's yeah. just Blake James does not like Mario crystal ball at all. And Mario Cristobal is not going to come work for Blake James. Right. Um, That's why I'm just like eight and four. I mean, I guess, because again, I, I'm assuming that they won't make the moves necessary to, to do that. I so agree to with me, you. You tell me eight and four and all that stuff. And I'm just like, yeah. Right. I mean, so I guess I don't, know who, I, don't know, I don't know who the other option is if it's not going to be Cristobal, which I don't think it would be because of those reasons. Right. They would have to would fire Blake James. Yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, it's a it's a leadership issue right now with the Miami football program in terms of what is acceptable, right? Eight and four is not acceptable to me in year three. I don't think eight and four is acceptable to you in year three. Um, but I do think it's acceptable, unfortunately, for this administration, this these decision makers, Blake James, the board of trustees, they don't make hard decisions. We see LSU move on from Ed Orgeron, who Regard like whatever you think of Ed Orgeron, right? As a head coach, uh, he did win a national championship two years ago. Um, would Miami have made that move if he no if, shot. right? Uh, and, and they they announced the separation the day after beating Florida. Would Miami ever do that? No. Wow. Texas Tech moves on from their coach who you know, hasn't been good. But again, if we're looking at this through the Miami mentality with the decision makers, Texas Tech has a five and three record right now when they moved on from their head coach. Would Miami ever do that? No. No. The question started to come up at two and four. Right. Right. It, It only became a discussion then. Yeah. And they, and Blake James didn't pull the trigger and nobody pulled the trigger on Blake James. So we're stuck in this hamster wheel right now of mediocrity. (laughs) Uh, TCU moves on from their legend of a coach, Gary Patterson, who again, things have slipped, right? There's no doubt. I think it probably is the right move. Yeah. But Gary Patterson took TCU from the WAC to conference USA to the mountain West, to the big 12. He won a ton of games in the big 12. They have a statue of him outside the stadium. I didn't know that. That's a hard decision to make, right? That's what leadership does. Unfortunately, I don't have faith that Miami has the type of leadership to make these type of winning decisions. So um, here's the thing I will say, though, on the flip side of all this ranting. Again, eight and four isn't acceptable to me in year three of a coach's tenure. But maybe I, I could go along with it. Maybe I could make it slide if they go out and dominate the rest of their remaining opponents, right? Because that is what a real team would do. These, these four remaining opponents are not good. So if Miami squeaking by with one-score games, that's not acceptable to me. That's not good enough, right? Context matters. Style points is going to matter to me over this final month. Um, and I do think, look, Tyler Van Dyke emerging as a potentially big time quarterback is interesting to me. Um, and and some people will probably roll their eyes at this, but it does a little bit remind me 
back in 1999 when Ken Dorsey took over uh, at quarterback over the final four games of the year. Miami started rolling. They won big over some iffy opponents. Ken Dorsey was producing as a young quarterback. That was a new starter. They won 55-0 over Rutgers, 45-13 against Syracuse, 55-0 over Temple. And then they closed that year 28-13 with a win over number 17 Georgia Tech in the bowl game. Dorsey wasn't great in that bowl game, but still led them to a win. So they reeled off some impressive results, dominating results with a new quarterback that everyone could see wow, this guy's going to do some big things. Now, on the flip side of all this, Miami's roster was ready-made in 1999 with a bunch of studs at different positions, right? You had Ed Reed, Santana Moss, Reggie Wade. So they were kind of a quarterback away. Is this team a quarterback away? I would probably say no, right? Um, But if you want to make me convinced that eight and four in this year, Year three of the Manny Diaz is, you know, maybe we should give him one more year, then go out and win with some style points. What do you think of that? No, I think that would be best case scenario. I mean, and that would, and we're talking winning big. I mean, that that would include again a win in Tallahassee over big. Florida State. You know, again. a big another big win like that. Um, you know, I think I I think that would be good, and then I I would be interested to see how they looked in the bowl game because that's still a big red flag yeah. for me about how this team doesn't play well. Um, sort of coming off a break. I agree. You know? And look, if they go eight and four, and then go out and get beat handily in the bowl game, to me a move needs to be made because what yeah. are we doing here? Like it's the yeah. same song and dance year after year after year with this program. You know, they won that one bowl game in twenty sixteen. Right. Uh, and, and before that, it had gone back to what, 2004? It was, it's insane. So we got to stop this cycle of mediocrity, and the decision makers need to step up. And the decision makers need to start respecting, you know, what this football program has brought to this university. Um, it, 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 it bothers me that now the whole university wants to take on this U logo. Like you see U health everywhere. Um, and yet they don't give, you know, I think the resources they give the football program are fine, but I think they deserve, like, I think the football program deserves even more resources with the way they've kind of uh, taken on this U logo, which the Miami program made famous, not, not the university. Right. Um, and the university has not always embraced that U logo uh, in terms of like representing the entire university. You know, it was always like a football thing. Well, it's one of the most recognized logos in all of sports. And so then the university took it on for themselves, for their own branding, U Health and all this stuff, which is good. I like that. But still show some respect for the program that you know, put your university on the map if we're going to be honest about Facts. it. So it. enough ranting. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> let's move on to the notes coming out of the press conference. Um, Manny Diaz really wanted to make it clear that 
Miami's past defensive stats, he says, you know, they're not good enough, but they've faced a lot of big time quarterbacks. Do you buy in that or not? Um, kind of. Uh, I get that they have. I, I do think that they've played some big time quarterbacks. I think you need to be better at some point, but I think I, there's a I think there's an argument that you need to tip your cap at the same time. I don't think we yeah. thought that the defense was going to be spectacular, um, especially like in coverage. So, right. um, you know, I can I can give some leeway there. It needs to improve. Like right now, I think in yards yards allowed per game. Yeah, Miami's like 120th. Yeah, yeah, 120th. Um, so again, that's coming off a 500 yard performance against Pitt. That number needs to improve though, over these final four games of the season when like none of these teams really throw the ball well. So, you know, if you're still ranked hundred or worst, then we got a problem. So that, that thing needs to creep back up over this final month of the season, in my opinion. Um, Manny Diaz also announced Michael Redding. The third, who is a wide receiver, big bodied receiver, um, out for the rest of the year. He had labrum surgery, um, shoulder deal. So wish him the best in his recovery. He said, Bradley Jennings, good to go. Um, he was out, I believe for the fourth quarter with, you know, dinged up with an injury. That's why we saw Ryan Ragone, um, the walk on in the fourth quarter at times, um, as a rotational player. Jess Simpson passed along that Nesta Jade Silvera returned to action for Sunday's kind of walkthrough type practice. So that's encouraging. Nesta was, was held out against Pittsburgh because of a non-COVID illness, according to the school. Um, and then I, I think it's worth touching on. Brett Lashley, you know, had a lot of interesting things to say about Tyler Van Dyke. So I would recommend checking out the website, watching that entire interview. Um, he, he basically said how now he has full confidence in Tyler Van Dyke because um, he knows that Tyler Van Dyke is seeing things clearly in terms of processing. Uh, his quote was, he gives me confidence now with knowing how I can call the game for him. Uh, Lashley admitted, which I found impressive and enlightening. Lashley admitted that he was, ex- quote unquote, extremely conservative in the first half calling the game uh, against Virginia. He said, again, I was just too conservative. So um, it has been a learning process, not only for Tyler Van Dyke, but also Rhett Lashley in, in trusting what Tyler Van Dyke can go out and do. Um, and he did admit too, he, he's impre- he is kind of impressed by how quickly the light bulb has turned on for Tyler over these last two weeks. He's, he said, quite frankly, a lot of times either the quarterbacks have it or they don't. Um, and the way that Tyler, the lights just come on real quickly after looking kind of shaky against Virginia, North Carolina, he says it says a lot about his guts, his preparation, his, his coachability, willingness, willingness to learn and study film for the next opponent. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff there with Rhett Lashley and Tyler Van Dyke. I think, I think that's it, Gabby. I've ranted enough today. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm coming down from my sugar high of Reese's Pieces from <laughs> Halloween. Oh man. And so I think we'll wrap it up. So do it till next time, everyone take care. Thank you for listening. Um, we will see how Miami does closing out the rest of the month. 
We will have another podcast here later this week previewing the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. So again, thanks for listening and take care. moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.